postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up a white flag and saying, ah, it's all the secular people's fault, and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic how can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism redesigned. Hey everyone, it is Pastor Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church podcast. We are now in part two of the conversation, the very final episode of how to minister with the LGBT plus community. This is the episode that I started, uh, that I shared last week. I shared part one. It was actually one sit down with Paul Anthony Turner that lasted for about two and a half hours. So we split the episode in half in order to bring it to you in a little bit more of a uh, usable chunks. Uh, So anyways, uh, welcome back. This is part two of how to minister with the LGBT plus community, looking at that final episode where rather than exploring the don'ts, We are exploring what are the things we can do to connect meaningfully with this beautiful group of people. So I hope you enjoy, and I'll catch you on the other side. Um, Okay, so let's go to the next one. (laughs) Yeah. I just have four more, honestly, Um, and I can can get through these, um, certainly. So you definitely want... Once you've asked God to help you to not be prejudiced, and that takes a lifetime, um, and once you're encouraging LGBT people to know Jesus, and you're sitting down with LGBT people asking about their experiences, and you're you're appreciative of when LGBT people come out to you, and you're not trying to figure out if they're sexually active or not, or and it, once you've started to do the research um, and 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 start thinking more in depth about what it means for us as queer people to be queer, then you then I believe if the spirit of God is working in your life, it'll lead you to start um, advocating for us in the church, one point, that's one point, and then also publicly, another point. So to advocate for us in the church, what might that look like? So last year when I was, when I was being persecuted by my church, um, I had a lot of friends who, who held, who held, held church leadership accountable, wrote letters to the conferences, to my local church, the pastor of my of the of the church I was attending, um, these were straight. These were my straight friends and, and some queer friends, but my straight friends were coming, whether they were side B or whether they were side A, they were coming to my to my defense. That's one aspect of advocacy in the church. When you see something ungodly happening, when you see that we are being abused, anyone's being abused. You, as a, especially if you are a person with privilege, you have a responsibility to call out the people that are doing the abuse. Especially again, if you have, if you come from a, if you enjoy certain privileges, if you are part of the group, the privileged group, because your words are going to carry a certain kind of weight that we who are oppressed are not going to be able to um, to have. So advocate by speaking out to leadership when you see it. Um, and, and don't be afraid. You have the spirit. You have the, as they say in black church, you have the unction of the Holy Ghost on your side, um, empowering you um, to go forward and to, to advocate for us. And this is the work of God to stand up for justice for LGBT people in the church, whether we're side A or side B, that is a spirit filled activity. Um, another thing that you can do to advocate for, for LGBT people in the church um, is make your church welcoming. Um, yes, if, you know, as the Adventist church, yes, the, um, we're not an affirming church to use the way the terminology is more commonly used. We, we don't, the church does not affirm gay marriage or gay sex. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't be a, we can't be a welcoming church. And yes, that it's not going to uh, alleviate all the problems that that will cause for LGBT people who are side A. I recognize that. Um, and I don't have the answers. It's, it's just a painful circumstance. There will always be someone, there will always be an extent to which there's some pain there. Um, 
but let's do our utmost. Let's go out of our way as Adventists to be super welcoming, so welcoming that it might, in certain ways, um, it might make up for, as it were, um, the loss that our side A brothers and sisters might be feeling by not um, by not having their beliefs affirmed in the ways they want to. This is it's just be creative, honestly. Be considerate of how would you feel in the situation and do your utmost to make your LGBT plus brothers feel included and loved. Go out of your way. Do the most. Don't do the least that you can do. Um, freely, again, like I like to say the scripture a lot, freely you have received, so freely give. Um, another part for advocating the church um, is adjust your teaching. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about as Adventists, I'm going to speak to the Adventist context. That's not to say that necessarily our church is ever going to become side A in our theology. Um, I think that there's a way to, once since we've been considered, especially after, you're, after you've done your research, um, you can go back and reconsider how we articulate some of our beliefs. How do we speak about homosexuality? How do we speak about marriage? How do we speak about celibacy? How do we speak about um, about friendship? How do we speak about uh, queerness, et cetera? Um, we need to adjust our teachings to the extent that we are staying in harmony with what the rest of the church is teaching. But there's so much that we can do. There are so much, I mean, there's so much that we can do. There's so much, there's such a breadth of, 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 of change that can be made to how we as in, as church as, as a church articulate our side b position but it takes us becoming nuanced um two more points within advocate oh yeah yeah i just wanted to jump in real quick and and say like it can be something as superficial as adapting or 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 being very very intentional at the very least right so this is like a, a very least ensuring that you're very intentional about using inclusive language oh we're gonna get to that i can't so, wait for that so 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 i had a situation at one of the churches i pastored some years ago where one of the elders during the pastoral prayer during the main service um at the time here in australia the marriage plebiscite was going on you know are we going to approve same-sex marriage uh you know or like legally recognized by the courts or are we not? Um, and so he took it upon himself during the service, during the pastoral prayer or, or the main prayer to mention that in the prayer and to talk about the, how terrible it is and how the nation is, you know, the depravity that's coming into the nation and help us Christians to stand firm against these corruptions and, you know, all this stuff. And I pulled him aside after and I was like, you realize there's three people in the church who are LGBT. How do you think they felt during that prayer? Right. Do you think they felt like this is a community that I belong to? Or do you think they felt like, whoa, I better hide my, my orientation or they might think like I'm the enemy, you know? Right. And so something as simple as like, look, don't do that. <laughs> you know, like, I know we, we went back to the don'ts, you know, <laughs> but, um, yes. Yeah, be that's inclusive. a really simple awesome. one. Yeah, be be inclusive, you know, be inclusive. Uh, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, be inclusive. Okay, go on. <laughs> yeah. um, and then also uh, uh, still within advocating for them in the, uh, for LGBT people in the church is speak about queer issues. Uh, talk about the stuff that we, that we go through. So have forums where if there are LGBT plus people who are comfortable being up front and sharing or in whatever context, maybe it's a small group, maybe it's on the stage in front of the church, just do it. And yes, it is going to be a PR nightmare and you're going to have to figure out the logistics and all that stuff. Yes. But we're Christians and we do the hard things. We're supposed to do the hard things because we're supposed to spread the kingdom of God. Can, and, I, can, I, can I jump in here real quick? Because yeah. you just, bro, you just hit on one of my, um, okay, so check this out. I, I'm At the moment, this for me, I, so I just want to mention this and leave it with those who are listening to wrestle with it because I, I think it's meaningful. So at the moment, um, I'm planting a new church here in Australia. Um, the objective of this church was we want to create a network of churches that are geared toward meaningfully connecting with secular post-church culture. 
So these are not copy and paste churches. These are very different churches. But what we found during the journey of um, thinking, what is this church going to look like, is we just went back to the New Testament. We went back to the New Testament church, and we really ended up with uh, a contemporary contextualization of what you see in the New Testament, which means that our church is, it doesn't have a program, it doesn't have a building, and it doesn't have a, um, like a stage or anything like that, right? We, the center of our church is not a lectern, it's the table. We sit at the table, we eat when we gather together. We eat together, we celebrate communion together, and we talk about scripture, we check in with each other, right? So we go around the circle, um, and sometimes it's random, people just jump in, or other times we're just going around the circle. It's like, hey, what did God say to you through John chapter 2 this week? You know, and, 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 and while you're at it, tell us how your week has been and how we can pray for you. And we're just sort of eating and sharing. Um, and as we're eating and sharing, you know, people are, are, are sharing their experiences. And, um, you know, in that context, imagine, right, in that context, which is what the New Testament church looked like. In yeah. that context, you have a person who is attending who is a gay person, a member of the LGBT plus community, a trans person. And it's their turn to share what they experienced through reading John 2 and how their week has been. Do you say to them, hey, wait a minute, time out. You're not living a morally upright life, so you can't share. Mm. Only those of us at the table who are living a morally upright life can share. Because you're an LGBT plus person, uh, because you're in a same-sex marriage, because you're in a same-sex relationship, you can't share. This is only for us. So you just have to sit there and listen, right? Of course not. Like, no one would dream, you know, unless you're, like, really messed up in the head, okay? Like, no one would dream at the table of telling someone you're excluded from sharing anything about God to our broader community because uh, we don't agree with your, your sex ethic, right? So we would never dream of doing that in a, in, a, in a model of church that's more reflective of what you see in the New Testament where people are gathering together and eating together, you know? But all of a sudden, you add a stage. Right. And those people can't go up there and share. Right. You know, it's like the moment you the moment you introduce a stage, it's like all of a sudden only certain people can go up there. And I'm like, what is it about this this artificial stage that's not even a part of the New Testament model? And by the way, I'm not saying that the New Testament church did not have a standard a ethical moral standard. Of course they did. And of course they called out you know, we, we see this in Corinthians, you know, a guy sleeping with his stepmother, you know, like this was a big thing. And, and Paul was going at the jugular with that one, right? So I'm, right. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the experience of mutual sharing. And it's like, for some reason, the moment you add a stage, like I've been in board meetings, in board meetings, where people are like, we had people singing the leading worship at church last Sabbath, and they came from another church, and we need to put a system in place where we can actually investigate whether those people are living morally upright, because they're singing on our stage in our church, and we don't know who they are. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my goodness, you know? <laughs> I hope you don't make your system too rigorous because that'll discount me from being, you know? So it's like, it's ridiculous. Like the moment you add a stage, all of a sudden, there's this dynamic of only the holiest of the holy can go up there and everybody else has to sit on the pews, which by the way, I think has lots of roots in Catholicism, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, <laughs> you know, sort of the Catholic, the Catholic philosophy and uh, of the, the the sacred secular divide, and you know the 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 holy person and the and the um, and the laity. But anyways, that so that's my challenge. I would challenge anyone. It's like if you would not exclude such a person from sharing and blessing you in in a model of church that's reflective of the New Testament, where you're sitting around the table and you're sharing and you're worshiping and you're taking communion together. And, and, and you know, even if that person, you know, you have a trans person in your community who says, hey, um, I learned a song this week and I'd love, love to share it with you guys. Yeah, sing it for us. You know, with, but all of a sudden when you're in a, in a church with a stage, they can't go up there and sing. It makes no sense. I don't, <laughs> yeah, anyways. So I, just, I threw it out there, kaboom, have fun with it. I'm, uh, it's, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you put your finger on a very difficult matter. Um, and maybe it demonstrates that we need to become more intentional about church planting and stop seek, when we're, when we're, when we're doing ministry to cities, we have to get away from using our institutionalized churches. The, 
the pretty church at the white columns out front, the brick buildings, or I don't know what it looks like in Australia, but <laughs> we, we might need to get away from using those as bases for ministering to the cities and to quote unquote post-moderns, even though we're actually technically out of that, we're in modern, modern as another matter though. Um, but anyways. Thank you for saying uh, that. We're so behind as a church. We're talking about post-modernism. So like, years oh, after like, post-modernism died. You're <laughs> so, so late. Oh my gosh. So bad. But, I have to use the term postmodernism in almost all my advertising because if I, I use I, the actual stuff that's happening now, no one yeah. in the church will click my links because they will have no idea what I'm talking about. Exactly. Anyway. No. Yeah, on, you have necessity but yeah we might need to get away from using our, our the institutional churches um for as basis for ministry i'm not saying that they don't have their place i actually i mean i'm a person who likes ceremony i love ritual and so <laughs> i i do see a place for that i mean i grew up in a tradition a, a part of the adventist church that very it's very it's very much steeped in some of those kinds of traditions where they're sitting on the podium and th there's a certain extent around i'm like okay all right, we need to stop doing this. But at a certain sense, but to also another extent, it draws me. But setting all that aside, I think that if we're going to start doing ministry to this to these people today, for with LGBT people um, and others who have been greatly disenfranchised from the church, it's going to take us doing things that, like what you're doing, getting away and just wrecking. Okay, yeah, because once you do remove the stage, it removes that a lot of the performative aspect, or, or it does away with concerns with oh, is a person standing there? Do they embody um, um, our our ethical or doctrinal concerns? It kind of does away with those concerns. Not to say that we're compromising, but it just does away with the need for putting on a front for everyone because everyone's just here at this table, communing with each other. Um, and maybe it's a lot more of our churches need to be like that in general, but certainly if we're going to be reaching out to this community. Um, so definitely um, we need to start speaking about queer issues in our church um, in whatever format will be most, you know, per the context, whatever context or whatever format will be most conducive for doing that. Um, a last point under um, advocating for the church, for LGBT people in the church is celebrate queerness. And again, once, and I've said it a billion times, and I'm going to say it a million more times, um, is once you start thinking about queerness and straightness as more than just sex categories, it becomes not only possible, but I think ethically incumbent upon us to celebrate queerness. Now, some people say, well, if we're, if, if, well, if we come to the place where um, queerness and straightness are equal, then we don't need to say anything. No, 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 no. You don't all, you don't get to spend <laughs> all this time celebrating um, heteronormative values for all, all this time but now it comes it comes time for us to 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 undo that way of thinking and all of a sudden now we don't want to celebrate queerness no we need to start celebrating queerness because it will be the undoing of some of those toxic principles that we were taught by um, cis heteronormative um, values we need to not only say okay we're not we, in in other words we need to do more than just say okay we're not going to we're not going to um, um, just celebrate straight people, straight marriage or whatever. We also need to dismantle some of those beliefs there. And we do, we also need to start, we need to do the difficult and maybe scary work of saying, okay, we as a side B church disagree with gay marriage, but we do see within queerness because we are spirit-filled people and therefore we don't have fear of, of being nuanced. Um, we're going to celebrate all the different things that we feel um, we are at liberty to celebrate and still be faithful according to conscience and according to the word of God. We have, I, I don't think we have the, I don't think it's not, I don't think that's just an option. I think we have the ethical responsibility and we can't say that we can't do it. It's not possible for us to do it. It's too hard because we've been celebrating straight principle. We've been straight celebrating straight values in the church for years. So we can do this. It really just takes, <laughs> are we going to actually be subject to the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to continue to um, just do what we want to do? <laughs> you know, what's interesting is what you're advocating there is um, it's actually not that radical some people might think of it and think wow that's really really radical and i think that's only because this conversation has been loaded with lots of reductionism and you know political um energy and emotion and all this stuff but 
what you're basically advocating there is a very common paradigm among missionaries. And the paradigm that missionaries generally use, at least in the modern age, I understand that missionaries have deep roots in colonialism, and that's not what I'm talking about right now. Uh, I'm talking about like at, at least what I'm seeing in modern missiology, where where we're you know sort of doing away with the colonial aspect of it. What I'm seeing is missionaries are trained and taught to go into a region and identify what aspects of the culture are. Um, what aspects of the culture are you can celebrate? Mm -hmm. What aspects of the culture you have to challenge? And what aspects of the culture are neutral? So, for example, you go into uh, a tribe in, you know, in an island somewhere. The old colonial mindset was there is nothing here to celebrate. We have to make them European and then we can, you know, as part of their conversion to Christ, they have to wear suits and ties and build church buildings and sing hymns and, you know, that because there's nothing in this culture to celebrate, right? There might be some neutral things like they eat food. Everybody does, right? <laughs> but like there's nothing to celebrate in this culture, whereas modern missiology recognizes that that's actually a racist view. You know that you have to go in and you have to make someone a white person before you can before they can be you know a, 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 an Adventist, for example. Um, and so, what in modern missiology, what I'm seeing is it's saying, look, you have to find like what are the aspects of this culture that we can celebrate, things that are in, inherent to it that are actually in harmony with the cross. And there's actual theological foundation for this because what it means is long before we showed up, God was already here. And he's already established in his relationship with these people elements within their culture that are worthy of celebration, their colors, their aesthetics, their expressions, their dances, you know, all these different things that are, are worthy of celebration, worthy of us saying, that's beautiful. Keep, yeah, like celebrate that. And then there's aspects of it that the gospel challenges. So you might, for example, uh, to use a very sort of extreme example for the sake of, you know, the illustration, you might find that this culture practices female genital mutilation. Well, the gospel challenges that, you know, we're not going to celebrate that in the name of cultural inclusivity. Like, no, that is that is not okay, right? There's the cross challenges that practice. And so here's an aspect of the culture that needs to be aligned with the gospel, with, you know, God's love for not just for men, but for women, for justice, for, you know, um, women having, you know, reproductive rights and rights over their, over their own bodies. And, you know, instead of being controlled by patriarchy, you know, all the, you, you can challenge those aspects of the culture. And then there's aspects of the culture that are just neutral, which is you're going to find in every culture. They're neither here nor there, you know. Um, so it's like, oh, you guys have dreadlocks. Well, you know, that's neither here nor there. Whereas in a um, colonial thing is like, no, you got to cut your hair. That's evil. You know, we, we got to cut your hair, make make you look a little bit a little bit more preppy because, you know, if you go to church with dreadlocks, God doesn't like that. So so there's and, and, and it's complex. And I just painted like a really simple picture of it. But that's I hear essentially what you're saying is like the LGBT community is a community that has within it elements that are present because God has been active in that community long before we showed up and they're worth celebrating. There's aspects that the gospel challenges, and then there's aspects that are neither here nor there. And right. understanding, taking that nuanced view, educating ourselves, doing the, you know, looking at the research, having relationships with LGBT community, uh, real relationships, not just armchair relationships where you're sitting in a comfy room thinking about this stuff, but actually interacting with people can help us develop a really balanced missiological approach to the LGBT plus community. That's kind of what I hear you saying. I don't know if I missed anything. Yeah. It, that's yeah. that's exactly um and um to turn over to the next point and you already covered the um in, use inclusive language oh, gosh honestly no let me cover that a little bit so i'll cover that extremely briefly um this is also within advocate for them in the church um uh, you already spoke beautifully to it um a lot of people are going to feel a lot of people feel really nervous now this this really comes up using inclusive language when it comes to talking about um transgender um, people, because um, many transgender people will um, use their prefer use their preferred pronoun. So you might see a person who presents physically anatomically as a man, but they identify as being a woman. 
they perceive themselves as being um, a woman. And I, I, I will ad admit I am out, a bit out of my depth when, I, when it comes to transgender um, matters. So I definitely defer to those, um, my transgender brothers and sisters who are, uh, who know what they're talking about. <laughs> but definitely we need to consider the fact that it's just not that big of a deal. We have made it a big, a big deal because we have this sense as Christians, this kind of, again, it's a paternalism. We think that unless we hold um, transgender people to um, to what we perceive that they are um, and to this standard of holiness that we perceive is right, then we're going to be compromising our faith or not standing for a good principle. But in reality, it's not transgender people um, or anyone, it's not even just transgender people because there are gender queer people who, who just use different pronouns. Um, it's not necessary, it's not about um, trying to upend the fact that God, that there are two biological sexes or, or trying to um, just cause chaos. It's about recognizing the fact that, you know, if we truly do live in a world of sin where things become um, altered or become confusing, that only, it only would make sense actually that there are people in the world whose outward um, 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 biological presentation does not comport with their inner conception of what they of who and what God had intended them to be that only makes sense um so it should not be problematic that someone comes a transgender person says oh yeah I look like a man but I perceive myself to be a woman and don't think that it's because um, transgender people are confused about they're not confused they're very much in tune with who they are they are actually they actually have to live with themselves so it's very arrogant for us as cisgender people, and I do include myself with that group of, of privileged people, it is, it's, it's arrogant and frustrating beyond words for us as cisgender people to go to, to transgender people um, or, um, and tell them that, no, what you actually are is what you are biologically. We really need to do more research into the complexities of, of gender and sex um, biological sex is much more complicated. Just use the pronouns, honestly. Um, we need to become all, all things to all people. And this is, this is just one of those ways. And I can't talk about it um, super in depth, but I, again, just check how much of this is actually driven by godly principle and how much of it is actually driven by prejudice and fear of something that you don't know. On this point, we need to just as cisgender people, we need to accept the fact that transgender people's experiences are real. They they actually obtain in reality, um, so they're not going around just making this stuff up. No, again, just like I'm not making up the fact that I'm gay. I didn't just choose to be gay. Transgender people aren't just like, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm going to pretend to have a. Depending on depending on the transgender person, this is not every transgender person's experience. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out there and and, and feign having this debilitating um, um, disjunction within myself where I feel my my outward my outward features don't um, dovetail with my inward conception of myself. No one's going to do that. No one does that. Um, and, and we need yourself to the the agony, social, psychological, even physical, you know, with these surgeries, subject yourself to that just because, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah like who's going to do that? Exactly. Right. You know, it's, it's, right. it's real people wrestling with real experiences who right. need their support. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just, just use the language, be all things to all people so that we can win some to Christ. This is not, don't die on this hill. It's not worth it. And it's not, it is not about being principled and staying and staying godly. Um, again, it's just about being new, be, be nuanced. Um, so to move on to, um, to, to, to have a few more points um, is we need to, now that we've, we've been advocating for LGBT people in the church, we need to also advocate for them for us, I'm going to say that publicly. And here is now it's already going to be for a lot of people for many churches is going to be like, whoa, it's already it's, it's already challenging enough to do this in the church. But now we're going to actually put this 
this this front on the on the face of the church that says we support LGBT plus people, but won't that come off as us condoning gay marriage if, if we're a side B church or what what have you? And I say, like, okay, I'll tell you I'll tell you a quick story to actually answer that 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 concern and it's a valid concern i will say it's a valid concern how we present because you don't want your good evil spoken of you don't want to um have the form uh, you don't want to um um what what is this what does the scripture say i have to edit this part out are you thinking about the part, the part, like, don't call evil good or good evil is that the one you're thinking about no, the one where avoid oh yeah so, you know, it's, we definitely want to avoid the appearance of evil or avoid the appearance of not, of, of looking like we stand for certain principles if we don't, certainly. Um, but here's, here's what I would say in response to that. So I um, went to a pride parade in 2019, bummed I didn't get to go last year, hopefully I get to go this year. Um, also, if you haven't gone to a pride parade, it is unlike anything i have ever experienced it's so colorful and beautiful and rich and varied i never felt so beautiful i just like <laughs> wow just like i'm tearing up just thinking about it wow anyways go to a pride parade if you've never gone to one. Oh my god it's overwhelming um anyways so i went to this pride parade and i went with um a couple three of my other friends um and we were we, we were having this fantastic experience and i was and i was relating um with someone that i had that i had gone to this pride parade and they were like well i mean i know your side b wouldn't your presence there Oh, and I also had mentioned that there were some churches there. Like I, I saw the United Church of Christ, of course, always there. Um, and I saw the Episcopal Church, of course, of course they'd be there. Um, and I saw the um, the uh, Evangelical um, Lutheran Church, um, and I didn't see any other churches. And I was talking with someone about this, a straight person about this, and they're like, and I was like, you know what? I wish that were there, I wish there were more Christians at these events because it's such a great opportunity, and. They were like, um, well, if we were there, wouldn't that send the wrong message? I mean, you know, when that's in the wrong message. And I said, okay, by us not being there, what about that message? What about the message of us not being there? How much bad are we saying by not being present at the, at the event that we think being at would actually send a negative message? That was probably really, that's probably really confusing. We're no, that saying- No, that made sense. Okay, that's good. We're saying a lot. I would say, I would argue we're saying a worse thing by not being present there. And potentially, potentially, we're saying something much worse by not being there present. Now, yes, are there things at pride events that we can't participate in? Yes, of course. Were there things that are definitely not Christian at those events? Yes. By the way, some of those same things are present in straight culture. So there's that as well. But we're not, we don't spend time mining out the bad things in straight culture. No, we bring straight culture into the church all the time. <laughs> but that's okay. But we can't go to a pride parade because we're afraid that by our presence being there, we're going to lead people to Jesus, I guess. Queer people to Jesus. I don't know. But um, I think that we need to put on a stronger front. Not front like being fake, but like a true um a, a real genuine front that says we love lgbt plus people we're going to be out here signs and pickets we're going to participate in this pride event we're going to participate in this queer um conference whatever to the to what to whatever extent we feel comfortable but let's just be there at least let's be there let's do something we can for, for the love of god we can at least stand out front and hold a sign that says god loves you hand out water bottles and say here's a church family that loves you bro we can we, we can, can we can help your mom with the mom hugs exactly my mom my mom is side <laughs> b but my mom is a rat my mom doesn't care if you're side a side b whatever my mom um my mom was out there in the streets, like with these signs, hugging all, hugging all these these queer young people whose parents had, you know, had had, had disowned them or who were going through all kinds of different experiences. Um, 
who had gone through all these difficult experiences that led them to conclude that God didn't love them. Again, I said this in the last episode, I believe someone after my mom had hugged them, she said, you guys are Christians, aren't you? Mom says, yeah. Says, I can tell. Come on, somebody. Like, is that not the work of Christ? But you're so concerned about coming off as condoning gay marriage that you don't come off, that you don't, that you're not concerned about how we come off as being bigots and how we, we don't come, how, how you're not concerned about how we come off as slamming the gates to heaven closed in the face of LGBT people. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question, Paul Anthony, what message, what was the wrong message? What wrong message did Jesus send when he ate in the house of a tax collector? Ha! <laughs> you know the pharisees came and they were like why is your teacher eating with publicans and sinners right what it's like wait a minute jesus you're sending the wrong message here by eating with tax collectors which by the way is just uh, another way of saying thief in uh, mm-hmm. a, a traitor of his own people and a thief um in jesus day so this wasn't like irs tax collectors even though we don't like them either but this was on another level right um right. this you know what was the message that jesus sent by having someone like, you know, Mary Magdalene, if you take, you know, if you take sort of the traditional view that she was a prostitute. Um, but even if you don't think of it in terms of it was Mary Magdalene, there were definitely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unsavory characters in his, in his, in his troop, so to speak, you know, like what was the wrong message Jesus was sending by, by associating with these people? I, I think if we do the wrong message thing, if we take it to its logical conclusion, the entire ministry of Jesus is is uh, morally not okay <laughs> because Jesus would have sent lots of wrong messages. I'm eating at a tax collector's house. Therefore I approve of him exploiting his countrymen and making money, lining his pockets. I approve of that. Cause I'm eating here. Like, of course he didn't, you know, it's right. just, yeah, it's excellent point, man. Yep. Yeah. It, it just doesn't really stand up to scrutiny when we're willing to countenance all the time things that we don't agree with in the church when it's from straight culture. And we don't realize it. The church doesn't realize that it is straight culture, but it is straight culture. And they also don't recognize that it's toxic, but it is toxic. We need to be even more gracious when it comes to a demographic of people who feels that they inherently don't have any value in the eyes of God. I think that we, I think that we ought, I think that we should be, we need to come to the place where we are willing to run the risk of, of condoning gay marriage as if you're a side B church. Okay, let's run that risk. And let's potentially, for some people, for some for those queer people who might walk down the road and see you standing there with a sign that says, God loves you. That might be the thing that, cha- that just them seeing that the Holy Spirit might come and tap on that person's shoulder at that moment and say, what they're saying is true. I do love you. That very moment, that might be the thing that saves someone. But you're more cons- we're, we're more concerned with our own sense of with our with our with our institutional sense of piety that we're not actually willing to do what Jesus did. Jesus literally had a tax collector in his. He had he had a he had a um, a uh, a terrorist in his group. <laughs> he had two brothers who were argumentative. He had Peter, which is just his own problem. <laughs> <laughs> We're, 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 we're too holy, and he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors, but we're too holy to go out um, and, and minister to a group of people because we're so concerned about what message we might be sending when the message that we have been sending all along has been far greater than anything we might be coming off as condoning. So the last thing, and there's a lot of ways to do outreach with the queer community, by the way. There's a lot of ways um, the church, this needs to be creative. Honestly, there are a lot of opportunities out there the church just needs to buckle down and recognize that it is something that we that we have the response that we have the responsibility to do. Once you recognize that we have the responsibility to do to do this, and we have been asking for Jesus to change our hearts, it will lead us to finding all the creative ways. We're, humans are incredibly inventive, incredibly creative for good and bad. I am I cannot believe that the church that the Holy Spirit supposedly guides cannot come up with creative ways to minister to LGBT people and stand up for us, stand up for us in the public domain. Um, the last point I will, um, I, I want to make, um, cause the hour draws nigh 
um, is that we need to celebrate celibacy and other forms of non-sexual, non-marital um, relationship, relationship. And this is a big point for me. Um, and this, this is especially pertinent for if the church is really going to be consistent and not hypocritical in in calling in advocating for celibacy for LGBT plus people. If the church is going to be consistent in asking for that, the church needs to start being biblical and stop exalting marriage. And then furthermore, it needs to be biblical in celebrating other forms of relationship as being inherently of just as great of value as marriage. We have to get to that point. It's very conflicting to tell LGBT people or gay people, um, yeah, marriage is the most important relationship that humans could ever have. And you kind of need it in order to be the thing that completes you as a human, but you can't have it. It's like, okay, well, that's a very conflicting message I'm getting there. And you're telling me that this is the best way for me to experience relationship with other humans and with God, but I'm also not supposed to have this. So by effect, you're telling me that I'm not supposed to know God, which doesn't make any sense. So what we actually need to do is recognize that one, Jesus was celibate. Two, Jesus said, <laughs> it's preferable to be celibate. Paul, Paul follows it up and, and writes an entire chapter about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, and then there's been a whole slew of saints throughout history who have out of their celibacy done incredible things for God. We need to celebrate celibacy and stop treating it as if it is the ugly stepsister. When in fact, God puts it on a certain, gives it a certain, like you talked about Isaiah chapter 45, where being a eunuch, being, being celibate is this, it, it has this kind of status of, it, 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 there's, there's a blessedness to this. There's a way in which celibate people connect with Christ in a way that married people don't get to connect with Christ. Um, and there's a way that married people connect with Christ that we don't connect with Christ. But there's a certain way in which, um, especially if you read um, read some of the um, read read the literature of of Christian mystics um, who were celibate, read their writings about how Christ becomes this mystical husband and fulfills um, through a very intense connection with God can fulfill even the need, the, the the desire for sexual for sexual intimacy. Um, there there is a certain there's a certain gift that celibate people bring to the church because in a certain way we mimic you know we 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 um, present a a picture of what's coming in the next age we by not having offspring by not having a spouse we demonstrate that we're putting trust in the fact that it is actually christ who continues our legacy it is Christ that truly gives eternal life. We know we can't trust any longer in the fact that our our life, in a sense, will be continued through our children, through our offspring. We 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 really give a picture of the fact that the Christian's hope is in Christ giving 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 our um, giving longevity longevity of life. If you however you want to say that, um, so we need to celebrate celibacy. And then another part, um, and this would be something that you can read about in the um, the book Spiritual Friendship that I was mentioning earlier. Oh my gosh, we need to stop. We need we need to stop treating marriage as if it is the most intimate form of, of relationship. No one in the in the world, virtually no, no, no people group throughout history until the 1800s in the West, um, mid-1800s in the West, viewed the se sexual relationships or marital relationships as the most important relationship. Not even people in Jesus' day. They did not believe that that was the most important relationship. Now that was for a variety of factors. Some of them had to do with misogyny, um, the oppression of women, of course. But in another sense, I believe that people throughout history have have, have seen, they, there's a certain wisdom, I believe, that these groups, that these people um, dem demonstrate in that all relationships have the potential to be equally important, however you want to say that. There's no relationship, marriage included, that has this inherent value in it such that um, it should be viewed as the most important relationship. And a lot of Christians will say, well, marriage is the most important relationship because 
Um, you're, you're, you're being the most intimate with someone, you're touching someone. It's like, well, no, it's a certain type of intimacy, but you forfeit certain things when you decide to become sexually intimate with someone. You can no longer be parental with them. You can no longer be sibling with them. You have to be, you have to be their, their, their sexual partner. In the same time, in the, in the same kind of way, when you're, when you're, when you are someone's parent or when you're someone's child, you can't be someone's sexual partner. So each relationship has its, um, its particular, um, how do I want to say this? It has its own features, its own, um, well, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? I can't, I can't figure out the word. It has its own sp unique values and um, when you when you participate with someone according to one type of relationship, you give up the ability to operate according to another. So we need to stop with this using the marital or sexual relationship as this um, um, as this type of relationship that trumps the value of all others. Yes, it has its type of intimacy, but it's interesting that God uses all the different types of relationships to, to describe his connection with us. He uses friendship. In John chapter, I believe it's John chapter 15, maybe it's 16, I have called you friends, no longer servants. Yes, God uses the marriage relationship um, throughout scripture. Um, he uses the brother um, the brother relationship um, to, to describe um, his relationship with us. And of course, the father, um, the father and child relationship with us. Yeah. Um, he uses the mother that, relationship too. Use the mother relationship. A mother hen drawing, thank you for bringing that one up, bringing um, the, um, her her chicks under her under, under her wings. We need or to relate. To Israel. Yeah. Exactly. All of these different types of relationships matter. There's nothing inherent in anyone, especially if we're considering the fact that in the next life, um, there won't be marriage. How can we say in this life that marriage is the most, if we're preparing for heaven, how can in heaven, there is no marriage. How can we say that marriage here is the most important relationship, especially when our God and our savior, Jesus Christ did not have a marriage partner and please for the love of God, no one say that Jesus is married to the church. It's an analogy. It's a metaphor, guys. It's not real. But um, <laughs> celebrating other kinds of relationship because there is such intimacy. You should read the literature of like St. Alred of, I'm going to butcher his name, I think it's Rivolo, or um, the things that St. Augustine said about friendship. Um, read the things that even non-Christians, um, like Aristotle said, yes, were many of these people, again, misogynists, and did they have a low view of women? Yes, but there's still wisdom that we can learn often from them about how we can view friendship. Um, friendship between people of the same sex and even opposite sex. Um, we have a lot of work to do in building back up the value of non-marital, non-sexual relationships because those have become um, the dominant relationship. And if you're going to tell queer people, gay people, that gay marriage is not something that God ordains, you have the responsibility of making sure that you are upholding your responsibility as a Christian to make sure all the other relationships that we that they can experience are rich and fulfilling. Otherwise, you're consigning us to a life of of emotional and social suicide. You know, in his book, A War of Loves, I believe it's David Bennett, who's side B. Yes. Um, and he was a side A um, sort of uh, activist. And, yes. um, and he just shares his story, you know, in his relationship with Jesus and how he encountered Jesus. And it's a beautiful book. It's, it's really cool if, if someone wants to add that to the list of books they read. Um, but he does mention something really interesting in that book where he talks about uh, the tension with being a side B gay person uh, lies in the fact that the gay community outside the church, generally speaking, painting in general tones here, the gay community outside the church um, sees marriage or the romantic relationship as the apex of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And so the notion that anyone would be celibate is seen as a tragedy right? It's an absolute tragedy. It's the worst thing that can happen 
for for anyone to say, hey, I'm going to spend my life being celibate. Oh, man, I feel so bad for you. What a what a tragedy that you'll never know the joy of of being married with, you know, this person who is, again, the absolute end all be all of existence. Uh, and, and he sees this, and this isn't just within the gay community outside the church. This is all culture, all Western culture outside the church. And, and I tend to think, although I, I can't necessarily prove it, and it might be too big a discussion to get into now, but I tend to think that this is um, probably rooted in what Nietzsche was talking about, uh, you know, in, in, in light of the death of God, that um, we would seek to replace him with this endless list of cultural options um, and, and that marriage has sort of been elevated, you know, the romantic escapade has been elevated to almost a God position, where it's yes. like, this is, as a human being navigating this earth, the most, the highest possible good that you can experience is to be in a, in a, in a romantic relationship. And so the notion that anyone would be celibate or even consider being celibate is seen as a tragedy. And so this, yes. is, this is a difficulty for him in, in the culture. Um, where where marriage is almost like this 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 you have to have it it's a right and and it's yours and yeah. you have to have it. Um, this harkens back to what I said earlier, where conservatives talk about. Um, I mean, both groups to varying degrees will speak about it in both ways, but the, on the more conservative side of things, they'll talk about marriage as a necessity. You need to get married. even if you're gay. Okay, you need to become straight so that you can get married because you need to get married in order to be whole. So mm -hmm. they speak about it as necessity. Um, and the, the, um, on the more progressive side, they will speak about marriage as a right, as if there's no way in which it could ever be the case that I could be deprived of the benefits of marriage. And it's really just a marriage. It's, I'm not going to, it's very hard. Trust me, man, I live it. It's very hard, but yes. I will the not. The point that Bennett was making in, in his book is that you leave the culture and you come into the church as a side B, you know, gay person where marriage is a necessity is the narrative and they're both kind of the two sides of the same coin and yes. what he experienced was what he experienced as a gay christian was the almost near impossibility of finding a place where he truly truly belonged um because if he went to his secular friends it was like oh the tragedy of celibacy and if he went to the church it was like oh the tragedy of celibacy for different reasons but still both seeing it as a tragedy rather than seeing it as you know because you have chosen this path for your life and your walk with god this this enables you to have a level of deep community with others that a married person is not going to be able to have because of the responsibilities that come with that and the responsibilities of raising a family and all those things right and and, and there's a beauty in being married of course it's it's definitely part of god's design but there's also a beauty in choosing to be celibate and being able to like have deep relationships deep community with others um and and i think because we're always and, and i see this in youth groups a lot right because we're always pushing young people to find their significant other and get married you know the guys when they go to youth group they're just scanning the girls to see who's the potential wife right. and the girls are like who's the potential husband and you miss the opportunity to have real deep meaningful relationships with people because you're always looking for this apex of existence that we've sort of concocted in the modern age yeah this is a, this is a fantastic point i was um a, a year or two years ago i had a friend who he, he who came out to me um we had done some work some work together um and he came out to me and he decided he had decided recently that he was going to be to be to be celibate and and i'm gonna i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna clarify it very quickly um he said you know since i've decided to give up sexual intimacy it's opened me up to the possibility to be able to better appreciate people without any concern of getting anything in return with respect at least anything sexual in return and he wasn't saying that you know it's innately selfish to be to want to be sexually involved with someone no not at all it's more to say what's kind of like i guess what was what seemed to be the point you were making is because the sex drive within us is such a 
within whoever does have sex, uh, the sex drive, because not all people have sex drive. I mean, ace people do exist. Um, but the, but for those of us who do experience sexual desire, it can sometimes be such an overwhelming thing. Um, it can become all encompassing for us in relationships and it can, um, it can cause us to not be able to um, go deep with a person without sexual desire being a conduit for that. In other words, I like to tell people, I can be just as deep with someone without having sex with them as a person, as, if, as you could with that person having sex, as you could have with that same person by having sex with them. The only thing that changes, the, the thing that determines how deep you go with the person is the people's willingness to open up. I can be very deep with my mother. I can be very deep with my best friend. I can be very deep with my spouse. The depth that you will have in a relationship is not inherent in the type of the relationship, but in how much you are willing to pour into it. If you are not willing to open yourself up and see, be seen by the other person, having sex with them is not going to cause you to be deep with them. Yes, to be certain, the sexual act is a very deep thing, at least it can be, but that is not the only way to experience great intimacy. It's really up to the people who are involved. And that's why it's so crucial that we undo this narrative that says that sex, the sexual relationship is inherently the deepest relationship. Because if it is the deepest relationship, then God is not evil, then God, then we are, a, then it is possible for spouses to have a deeper relationship with themselves than God is able to have with us because God is not sexual with us. And according to a certain definition of those terms. Um, so it, it becomes, you know, if, if the sexual relationship is the deepest relationship that humans can have, even Jesus can't participate with us. We can't truly have the deepest relationship with him. Yeah, which I think is the notion that sort of underlies uh, some of those movements who are like, oh, Jesus had a secret wife and things like that, because they they struggle to see how Jesus could fully experience what it means to be human and have intimate connection without that. Uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. what you're saying, kind of what I hear you saying is that the sexual relationship is one metaphor for the depth of relationship God wants us to experience among others. So through the sexual act, the intimacy of the sexual act, it serves as a metaphor for that deep intimacy God, intimacy God wants to have with us. But it's not the only one. There are, there are other ways. The opening up of the self, really, the allowing the other person in is, is really what, what God is orienting or, or how God designed relationships to flourish and to have depth and to have beauty and significance. Um, and I really do wish that as a church, we celebrated that more and we encouraged that more so that people were able to experience the depth of true community and then in turn be able to provide that to others. Because let's be honest, man, what's one of the things that's lacking in the vast majority of our local churches? True community. Yes. And you the know, reason why. There's a reason for that. <laughs> we're so focused on marriage. It's That is a... I'm willing to bet everything and say it's a large part of it is based on the, 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 the myth that I can get everything that I need in my marriage. That's at least part of it. Not, not all of it. Of course not. It's a big part. A big part is that my marriage, my biological family should be able to take care of everything I need. And it simply can't. No one believed that up until the 1800s in the West. Most, many cultures, if not most cultures around the world, still do not believe that. Even if they value marriage, they still don't view their marriage. <laughs> um, we're Western societies are virtually they are Western romanticized. It's, it's an idolatry, really. Let's call it for what it is. It's, it's a type of idolatry, um, yeah. which is, you know, again, I remember, you know, being young and being in youth group and having people in the youth group that I really loved and appreciated. And then they started dating and you wouldn't see them anymore. They got married, disappear. And they disappear. And I'm like, but why? Like, I loved having you here. Like, all of a sudden, you're in a romantic relationship and you know, like I understand that you make time for that other person that's that's um, private and it's just you two. Like I get that, but I would expect that that would translate to maybe seeing you a little less, but you've disappeared. And this wasn't just like one, it happened all the time. And it was like, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, then you want to tell gay people that we're supposed to accept that and that's God's will for our life. It's like, so either side B theology is wrong and it might be, that's not the point, but so either side B theology is wrong or this is just a God or, or, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, 
I don't think the church understands what kind of a position by its unwillingness to be nuanced in how it thinks about marriage and sex and so forth. I don't think it realizes what kind of a position it has put um, queer people in. It, this is not the Bible. This is not God. This is the church by not being thoughtful enough, um, putting queer people, gay people in particular in this, in this instance, in a very difficult place, between a rock and a hard place where we're given two basically impossible options, social or emotional suicide by um, by existing in a church culture that idolizes marriage and I'm supposed to be just be celibate, or I get married to someone and am sexual with someone and I'm going to hell. I go, I live a life of hell and hopefully I make it through and I don't curse God and go to hell. Or I choose to live a life that I'm being told is wrong and I, and I know I'm going to hell. It's, it's a terrible option. And it is the fruit of a church not doing its due diligence and not thinking. And it's frustrating and it's angering where you have Christians who will dig their heels and insist that they are right and not have a heart. It's a, this is a matter. This is not a matter of theology. This is a matter of heart. Wow, man. Wow. This is, this is deep, bro. This is deep stuff. Um, I think... I think we've been going for three hours now. It's, 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 <laughs> let's wrap it up. Uh, I, I did say, you know, when I initially began this, I said, this is our last episode. I'm totally going to have to split this into a few. Um, yes. <laughs> this, is, this is not the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> like three hour interviews with Joe Lewis smoking weed. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, wait, no, that was, that was Elon Musk. Um, so, <laughs> You've given us a lot to think about, Paul Anthony, a lot to wrestle with. And I love and really, 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 really appreciate the level of profundity that you bring to this conversation. It is, it is not superficial, the way that you approach this. Um, it, is not, it, is, it is not intended to be comfortable either. You're challenging a lot of stuff. You're, you're poking at a lot of things that I think we have overlooked. And to that end, I, I really, really want to thank you for for taking the time to to share with us to challenge us and for those who are listening um i really want to uh thank you guys for listening but i want to challenge you as well because it's you know i'm certain that every, you know of all the people listening to this podcast and th this podcast series has had over you know 1500 um listens so far i uh, you know it's like and it's only just begun right um so of all the people listening to this, I'm certain that there's a giant chunk of you who are like, I don't agree with everything. And that's fine. That's fine. Because that, that wasn't really the objective here. The objective was to ask, how can we have more meaningful relationships, redemptive relationships with the LGBT plus community? How can we minister with them? And for, especially for those of you who are interested in mission in a post-church society, in a secular society, wrestling with this question is the most important thing maybe in like ultra traditional churches the most important question is what day is the sabbath and are the 144,000 literal or symbolic all right if you're trying to reach a secular culture those questions have very little to zero significance one of the questions that has the most significance is this one right here how can you minister with the lgbt community and i think taking the time to deconstruct those don'ts and and in these latest episodes looking at the ways in which we can positively engage the lgbt plus community i really want to challenge you guys to take those seriously to think about them deeply to explore them more to investigate more contact paul anthony he's on instagram he's on he's on facebook as well if you want to have conversations with him get into relationships with lgbt plus people in your life read broadly don't just read one perspective read different perspectives even if you don't agree with them there's still things you can learn there even if it boils down to simply learning better approaches of communication, better language, whatever it might be, there's always something that you can learn uh, by approximating the other. Um, but with all that said, Paul Anthony, we're, we're going to wrap up. I just want to celebrate you, bro. This has been a big sacrifice on your part. Absolutely. You're awesome, bro. You're awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I want to give you the final word. And I know I've done that a few episodes and you always feel on the spot. So, <laughs> But um, feel free to also just... Yeah, feel free to also just share a little bit um, in terms of where you can be found on social media, and um, and any other any other final words you might you might want to share with us. 
Yeah, yeah. And this, I want to say thank you so much for um, for opening up this opportunity, honestly. Um, oh, I, I just, I pray that it's, a, I pray that it's a blessing to, to many people. Um, because I think that as part, you know, as part of our responsibility, part of our responsibility as Adventists is in, in our, um, with our eschatological views, um, if we believe Jesus is coming and this gospel must go into all the world and then the end will come, um, the LGBT plus community is the world. Um, and this group needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so I hope that we will see this as a, as a, as a great calling. I, I hope we'll see the eschatological import um, for us proclaiming the gospel to this group of people, beautiful group of people. Um, you can find me. Um, I, I, I have a YouTube channel <laughs> that I need to be very, I need to be more consistent on, but yeah, um, I'm on YouTube. Um, my channel is called my, just my name, Paul Anthony Turner, all one word, no hyphens, no capitalizations or anything like that. Paul Anthony Turner. I'm on Instagram. I'm y'all. I'm so lame on Instagram, <laughs> um, but you can find me at Paul, um, Paul hyphen Anthony. Um, and then on, on Facebook, I'm Paul hyphen Anthony Turner. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopefully re releasing a new video every other week. That can be really challenging with school and just coming up with the script and everything. But yeah, I'm um, trying to release content or I'll post things that I, I see that are, I think, have messages that will be helpful for the church in considering these matters. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And, you know, if you're an LGBT plus person listening, I, again, I've said it before, I don't really have any cliche thing. I do it. Maybe I have only cliches to say, but I believe those cliches have a lot of power. Just know that God really loves you. Um, no matter what you've heard, no matter what's been said, said or done to you, no matter what you believe, um, just know that God loves you. He sent his son to die for you as much as he did for any straight person. And just know that Christ always especially identifies with those who are disenfranchised from the gospel or from, from the goodness of God. He's especially close yeah. um, to those who have been hurt, um, especially by, you know, hurt by the righteous. He's especially close to you um, wherever you are, whether you're side B, whether you're side A, whether you're not Christian at all, whether you're agnostic, atheist, I don't care, whatever you're hearing, wherever you're hearing this from, whatever perspective you're hearing this from, know that God especially identifies with you in your, um, in your difficulty. Um, I pray all of God's blessings on you. I pray that you would see how beautiful you are. And I pray that the spirit would make his path for you increasingly clear. And I pray that you would be surrendered to his will. Um, and I pray that you find the community and the faith and the body of Christ that you deserve to be a part of, and that you will find love that you'll be protected and that you'll be saved. God bless you.